As winter approaches, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam said it is crucial to avoid COVID fatigue and to remain vigilant. I know it's been a long eight months. People and businesses are suffering, and we're heading into darker, colder months. Folks, we need to keep doing what we've been doing. I'm Sean Tubbs, and this is the 48th installment of the Charlottesville Quarantine Report. Since the beginning, I've been tracking the numbers and trying to make sense of changes. Since then, I've also launched a daily newscast and newsletter. And one of the stories has been the rise in cases in our area caused by the return of UVA students to the community in September. This has been a very trying few months for everyone involved. That's Dr. Denise Bonds, the director of what will soon be called the Blue Ridge Health District. We'll hear from her later on in the program today. We'll conclude with a brief story about the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library's decision to open up two more branches to in-person service. Now let's get going with the show. This show has had a small newscast at the beginning of each show, and that helped develop the Charlottesville Community Engagement Newscast and Newsletter. So this one is no exception. So let's hear where we were on October 29th. The number of COVID-19 cases in Virginia has increased by another 1,429 cases today, and the percent positivity rate for PCR tests has increased to 5.3%, up from 5.1% yesterday. The number of reported deaths increased by 20 to a total of 3,636. The seven-day average of new cases is now 1,154. The Blue Ridge Health District reports another 29 cases today, with 10 from Charlottesville, 8 from Albemarle, 6 from Louisa, 3 from Nelson, and 2 from Fluvanna. The seven-day daily average of new cases is 28. There has not been a new fatality reported since last Friday, and so the death toll remains at 77. The seven-day positive rate for the Blue Ridge Health District remains at 2.7% for PCR tests and rises to 3% when all tests are considered. The University of Virginia reports 59 active cases as of yesterday, and 45 of those are students. 4% of quarantine rooms are in use, as are 2% of isolation rooms. On October 28, 2020, Northam began his comments by drawing attention to Virginia's relative success in stopping community spread. On the day he spoke, the Commonwealth was averaging 1,140 new cases a day, and the seven-day percentage of positive cases was at 5.1%. As you have heard on the national news, virus case numbers are going up across our country uh, in nearly every state. We're lucky here in Virginia that while our case counts are trending upward in some regions, we're not seeing large increases. Northam said Virginia is not an island. The Commonwealth has borders with five states plus the District of Columbia. He said that a sudden surge of cases in rural areas can put a lot of pressure on the healthcare systems there. For example, Ballard Health, the hospital system in southwest Virginia and eastern Tennessee is warning that it is seeing an increase in COVID patients. Part of the issue there is that cases just over the border in Tennessee are spiking. A quick look at the case numbers for health districts in far southwest Virginia showed a surge underway. On October 28th, Wise County had a seven-day average of 36.1 new cases a day. That number was 37.8 in Washington County, 50.4 in Lee County, and 61 in Scott County. 
Such spikes alarm health officials, and the state of emergency we have been in since mid-March gives the governor additional powers. During uh, the summer, we saw a spike in the east, and we had to reinstate some restrictions in some localities to help get our numbers down. I'm pleased to say that worked. People took it seriously, and now the eastern region case counts are not spiking. When Virginia began to reopen the economy in late May, Northern Virginia held back for a few weeks to help improve their metrics. Northam said he has similar concerns now for far southwest Virginia, but he stopped short of imposing any restrictions this week. You can see the number of cases has been steadily increasing, and the percent positivity is now just under 8% for the region, which has also been rising. In the southwest localities, in the western end of the state, it's actually more like 9% and has been increasing for 15 days. That's twice the rate of the rest of the Commonwealth. Northam said because of contact tracing, health officials know what is causing the increase. The spread in southwest is driven in part by small family gatherings. I strongly urge everyone in the Southwest to look at these numbers and step up your precautions. I ask you also to wear face protection. We know that that works. Case numbers are rising in most states and around the world. In other states and other countries, they're reimposing restrictions to get case numbers under better control. Nobody, nobody wants to have to do that. But this virus remains a very real threat. Northam said the Virginia Department of Health is working with local health officials in southwest Virginia on ways to combat the spread without imposing restrictions. He said he is aware of COVID fatigue. I know that many people are tired of COVID restrictions. We are all tired of not having social get-togethers, not going to see sports or shows, not having the regular interactions that we count on in our lives. Most people are doing the right thing, and they are tired of seeing other folks disregard the rules and disregard the health and safety of other people. With Halloween and other holidays approaching, Northam is telling people to avoid gatherings and crowds and to wear a mask when around other people. As scientists learn a lot more about this virus over the past eight months, we all learn more about how easily it spreads through the air. And we learn more about how these guidelines truly do help reduce the spread if we all follow them. Earlier, Northam said that contact tracing in southwest Virginia traces many cases back to small family gatherings. But what does that mean? Let's hear from Health Secretary Dan Carey. Really, the question is, uh, and what our contact tracers have told us, the question is, you know, what, what do you mean by that and how small is small? And really, if you're in a different household, it may sound innocent that you're going over your brother's house and they have three kids in the household and a spouse and, and uh, there's a total of only six or eight people. If they're from different households with different uh, connections, that, they really should be socially distanced. Can, can you do it safely? Yes, you can keep your mask on. Yes, you can... You can keep six feet. Yes, you can you know, uh, use hand sanitizer frequently. But coming together as an extended family, as if you're in one household, 
uh, is does present does present risk. And again, we want people to stay connected emotionally, uh, but we we need to be clear about physical connection. We need to keep that distance if you're not in the same continuous household. So that's what we mean. And we talk to our contact tracers. They tell us it was a a group of four or five people that had dinner, but they didn't have the distance. They didn't use masks. Obviously, with eating, you've got to take a mask off, and that means you need to, you may need to spread out. And as it gets cooler, uh, it'll be harder to do that. Folks were indeed using patios and the like, uh, eating outside where it's much less uh, easy to transmit the virus. So I think the important thing, if you're not in the same household and you're getting together, it's just like at work. You've got to keep physical distance. You've got to keep your mask. You've got to keep your hand hygiene, frequent use of sanitizer and hand washings. And if you're sick at all, you need to stay home and stay and stay isolated until it's clear. Turning to the financial crisis, Northam described how his administration has used some of the $3.1 billion in federal CARES Act funding that Virginia has received. We're using CARES Act dollars to help Virginians from our small businesses to free clinics to colleges and universities. $116 million for colleges and universities to help support their COVID response. $3 million for our free clinics, $65.8 million to support childcare access, $73 million for hazard pay for home health workers who provide personal care, $220 million for K through 12 to support COVID response, $30 million to fast track local broadband projects, and $22 million for Virginia's COVID vaccination program planning. And the crisis will continue. Northam concluded his remarks on October 28th by repeating the call for vigilance. I am so proud of how Virginians have stepped up during this pandemic. You can see the results in our numbers compared to other states. We just need to keep it up. This pandemic will end, but it will not end in the next few weeks or months. This winter will be hard on a lot of people, but you have done a good job of taking care of yourselves and just as importantly, taking care of our neighbors. This has been a summary of Governor Ralph Northam's press conference from October 28, 2020. In a moment, we'll get a local update from the Blue Ridge Health District. You're listening to the Charlottesville Quarantine Report. This is a project from Town Crier Productions, and the origins of this show led directly to me deciding to go ahead and do this work full-time. Now, in order to turn it into a job, I do need financial support. So I'm asking members of the public and anybody who would like to, to please contribute if you can. That can be done by paying for a subscription to the free newsletter that comes out every day, the Charlottesville Community Engagement Report. You can find that on Substack. You can also donate for general research and behind-the-scenes information about Town Crier Productions by giving a monthly contribution through Patreon. This is a way of demonstrating that I can have some regular support each and every month. You can also send me just a one-time payment through Venmo. If you do so, I'll grant you a subscription through Substack. I really want to make sure you can get the premium content because sometimes people there get a story a day or two before it gets released to the public. There's a lot of things going on, pandemic or not. But for now, let's get back to the program. (laughs) 
The University of Virginia has been critiqued by many for opening up to in-person education this fall and for planning to do so again in the spring. However, it appears that cases there did not lead to large amounts of community spread. So far, the topic came up during the briefing that officials with the Blue Ridge Health District gave during the October 28th meeting of the Charlottesville City Council, Albemarle Board of Supervisors, and top UVA officials. The main focus of that meeting was equity, and the three agreed to a memorandum of understanding to work on racial equity together. You can hear more about that in a future story I've got coming up later on today or over the weekend. Like Governor Northam earlier in the day, the Health District's Ryan McKay began by drawing attention to Virginia's place as one of the states that are doing better to control the spread of COVID. A lot of the strategies that we're implementing here in Virginia um, seem to be working. Um, Whereas if we compare strategies and policy across the country, um, we may find those differences have created um, opportunities for greater spread and exposure. Um, A lot of those um, strategies include things, social distancing, minimizing the size of social gatherings, um, restricting visitation to different facilities, um, and really adhering to those guidelines. McKay cited data from Carnegie Mellon University that shows states with mask-wearing requirements have lower transmission rates. This will be important as the temperature drops. I think that's a critical component. Um, as we head into um, late fall and winter, more people will be indoors. Um, the mask-wearing combined with other mitigation strategies is going to be really, really critical. The COVID tracking dashboard on the UVA website has been listing active cases since August 17th. On that day, Charlottesville listed 560 cases and Albemarle had 913. As of October 29th, Charlottesville had overtaken Albemarle and had 1,607 cases to Albemarle's 1,593. Uh, September into October, we saw some pretty big increases on the daily um, cases. We've dropped off a little bit in the early October, but now we're picking up again. And I think this is sort of the nature of how COVID is going to work. We'll see increases, we'll work quickly to mitigate, and then hopefully contain spread. And then at some point, we may see another increase. Cases rose as UVA began classes on September 8th, but McKay said they were largely contained to the UVA community. And I will say, even though we saw larger numbers of of cases coming from the university setting, we did not see transmission from students or faculty into the community. However, the university has been conducting a lot of tests, and they all count towards the percent positivity rating. On September 6th, the positive percentage for PCR tests in the district was 7.5%. That number was 2.7% on October 29th. It's important to understand that that positivity rate um, may be a little bit skewed by all of those tests that are being done. And we really need to look at uh, what we're seeing in terms of the raw data, the numbers of cases that we're seeing, and where that transmission is occurring. McKay pointed to a key demographic when it comes to the impact of COVID-19. We also see a pretty significant change when it comes to age. So even though the the majority of our cases are among those who are 10 to 19 and 20 to 29, those who are, are dying of COVID are in our older populations, 50 and above. Since the pandemic began, we've had Memorial Day, Independence Day, and Labor Day. McKay said holidays lead to increases as more people gather together. So will the colder months. COVID isn't going away, but the challenges will increase. And I think it's important for us to understand how we can address those now by strengthening what we've done, but also how we can adapt. 
as we approach the winter, Dr. Denise Bonds suggests that this is a time to talk about resilience. She said the community has demonstrated an ability to come together in difficult times. This has been a very trying few months for everyone involved. Resilience here is our ability to cope with a variety of um, situations in a healthy and productive way. Um, there's many components to resilience. Uh, strengthening and promoting access to public health, healthcare, and social services is certainly one. There's been significant coordination between the city, the county, the health district, and many of our nonprofits to provide wraparound services uh, in our area. Additionally, early on in the pandemic and continuing uh, even now today, there were community-led testing events that were supported by both of our hospitals and by the health district. However, Dr. Bonds said more resources are needed to help ensure that people in this diverse community get the care and attention that they need. We certainly need more community health worker positions. We know that this can be a really uh, successful way to um, gain the trust of our communities, um, to have individuals that are from that community work in partnership with us and with community members. Public health is one of those agencies that really needs substantial funding on a regular basis to do its job correctly. It makes it very challenging when we're, um, public health or other social agencies are underfunded and then um, are asked to respond as we have here in COVID. For now, Dr. Bond said one of the biggest threats is that people will just get bored of all of this and decide that it's no longer an issue. Um, we are seeing a huge amount of COVID fatigue, uh, both here internally in the health department, but I think even amongst the citizens in our community, people are really tired. They're tired of the stress and anxiety that COVID has built up about not really knowing what the next um, phase is going to bring, not knowing if we're going to have a good vaccine, when that's going to be available. And we're just now beginning to see the impacts of that. Um, we know that it's really impacted our small businesses in our community. Um, many individuals have been forced um, uh, or have lost their job and been forced to seek unemployment. Uh, and I, I think we're just beginning to see um, the start of how this is going to leave a long-term effect. In conclusion, the bottom line is that an increase in cases may be inevitable due to changing seasons. Winter is coming. Uh, we're going to see a lot of people moving to indoor activities, uh, which are um, higher risk, right? This is an aerosolized virus. We know that it's shared when you breathe out. Um, and there's less air turnover in an inside space. Um, and that, I think, is what's being reflected in the upper Midwest in the North Dakota area. They're having the beginning of their very cold season, and so people are going inside. Um, we know that there are things that will help. So first of all, staying home. Um, don't go out if you don't have to. And wearing masks um, does help prevent it. Dr. Bonds said she has personally canceled her family Thanksgiving celebration, even though her family had been planning to do it outside. In the early days of the pandemic, the Jefferson Madison Regional Library joined other establishments in closing down. They've figured out ways to provide service, and now they're thinking about expanding a little bit more. 
Two more branches of the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library are set to reopen by appointment only for extremely small numbers of people. David Plunkett is the library system's director. Next Monday, the 2nd, uh, Crozet and Scottsville will be joining Green, Louisa, and Nelson and moving to Tier 3 appointment service. Uh, Scottsville, unfortunately, at least to begin with, will only be one appointment at a time uh, in order to keep the six feet social distancing required to make this work. The branch is so small, it's about the size of, of my office here. The library closed early in the state of emergency. They opened branches in outlying counties in September to limited service and added Sunday hours to the central branch earlier this month. Plunkett told the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library Board of Trustees at their meeting on October 26th that they will continue to add back services slowly, but would revert back if COVID conditions drastically worsen. If they remain steady, Plunkett plans to continue adding service. The goal is going to be to work with Charlottesville to open the city area branches. Um, I'm aiming for between Thanksgiving and Christmas for Gordon Avenue, Northside, and Central. Um, Albemarle has been reviewing the Tier 3 plans to make sure that they don't have any uh, objections to Crozet and Scottsville. I have heard none so, so far. The initial number of patrons at a time will be five. Lisa Wolfwork is one of three library trustees for Charlottesville. She posed an important question. This question isn't really a critique at all of the plan. I guess it's a question about um, some of the speculation or what your thoughts might be on the speculation that we can expect numbers to rise, maybe nationally as well as in the state, as the weather gets colder and flu season converges on COVID. Do you have any thoughts about what a bump in infection rates might? I believe that the model that we have in place at Green, Louisa, and Nelson uh, could continue throughout a bump uh, because you're talking about nobody being in close contact with any members of the public. You're talking about everybody masked at all times. And you're talking about very limited um, people in a building to overwhelm an HVAC system. And you're talking about a massive amount of cleaning by staff that's happening on a daily basis. Plunkett said that staff is reviewing closely the new definition that the Centers for Disease Control have for close contact. Previously, it was listed as someone who had been within six feet of an infected person for a 15-minute period. Now, close contact is defined as someone who has been within six feet of a positive case for a cumulative 15 minutes over a 24-hour period. He said that change would not affect the plan to open up Scottsville and Crozet libraries to appointment-only service beginning on Monday. And that's it for this installment of the Charlottesville Quarantine Report, which has become a lot less frequent than it used to be. As I said, every single day now, I'm producing the Charlottesville Community Engagement Newscast and Newsletter. That has ended up becoming a de facto version of this program just every day. However, I do think it's important to continue to document this in this podcast form, and I'll continue to do so. It's very likely the name will change going forward, so it's very possible this might evolve into a different kind of program. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program and the president of Town Crier Productions. The whole goal here is to provide a community service that helps us get through this. Earlier, Dr. Bonds talked about resilience. Well, this is what resilience looks like for me. I'm so grateful to the support that I have received so far.